Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for January 1st, 2017. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jacks Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, What to Do with Jesus Now? And they know that they are welcome here anytime, anytime. So thank you for that. That was wonderful. And we're looking forward to whatever else y'all are going to do later in the service, okay? Um, I, I've enjoyed last week and this week. I don't want to do this every, every Sunday. I'll, be look, I'll look forward to getting back to our normal worship service. But it's nice to have a little bit of flexibility and to be able to come and to do something different. And so thank you for your uh, patience with that and, and for your flexibility. Um, thinking about the Magi, thinking about this first day of the year, thinking about the baby born in Bethlehem. Where are we going? What does this mean here for a new year? Even if you take the text literally, those Magi don't belong in the Christmas story. They were not at the birth, as Dan just told you. Matthew doesn't make it clear when they showed up, how long after the birth, though Bible enthusiasts have debated this unimportant, unknowable trivia with great passion. As Dan said, suggesting lots of different ideas from several days to several months to several years after the birth of Jesus. The simple truth is that when the angels sang to the shepherds, they showed up to see the baby at the manger. But when they arrived, they were all alone. There was no little drummer boy, there was no Santa Claus, and there were no wise men. You may have learned that there were three wise men. We always show them as three wise men because the the scripture mentions three gifts. You might have even learned their names, Caspar, uh, Belthazar, and Melchior, uh, um, but that's just tradition. Um, We don't know how many wise men there were. We don't know where they came from. We don't know how long it was before, after Jesus was born that they showed up. Um, But it's important to Matthew's telling of the gospel that these men from the east uh, showed up. This information that they weren't at the Christmas story doesn't make their part in the narrative any less important. We celebrate their coming. We actually celebrate the coming of the Magi on Epiphany, which is, East, uh, which, which is January the 6th, this Friday. Um, that day know, is known around the world to a lot of folks as Christmas. It's Christmas Day for a lot of folks. Uh, and it's the 12th day of those 12 days of Christmas, from Christmas to January the 6th. Um, it is Epiphany, which means appearing. Epiphany doesn't refer to the appearing of the wise men, the magi, but to the appearance of Jesus, representing the nations beyond Israel, in their case, the wild, wild east, not the wild, wild west. Um, Their story, in a way, brings full circle the calling of old Abram, who who is the father of the Jewish people. You, You will remember that when God called Abram, the promise was to make Abram a great nation, so that you would be a blessing to the nations. The point of the nation of Israel, the purpose of their calling, was never for themselves alone, but was to become a blessing to the nations. 
And so there's kind of a full circle um, in, in the telling of the story of the Magi. And all of this is important to Matthew, who quotes scripture so often and talks about the revealing uh, and the fulfillment of prophecy so often. And so the wise men come from another nation. They learn about the child and they go. And it's the revealing of Christ to the nations. And so in a way, a, a, a full circle of that promise of Abram to be uh, the, the blessing to the nations. Seems to me that Christmas time kind of reveals a hole in the fabric of the universe uh, regarding time. It seems like time stands still before Christmas, like the day will never come. You remember that, especially as children, it's like Christmas Day will never get here. Time stands still. And then Christmas comes, and in an instant, it's just gone. You know, when we left here to go spend some time with my college roommates three days ago, the sanctuary was decorated for Christmas. It was as if we're still waiting for Christmas to come. And today, you know, we're back to the routine. It's just, it's all gone. Um, it reminds me of watching soap operas. Now, I don't watch soap operas now, but Amy used to watch Days of Our Lives. She was a fanatic. Um, and uh, she used to schedule her college classes around that one o'clock time for watching Days of Our Lives. When she was a college minister, she mentioned that to the students one time. And she said, yeah, we would choose our classes so we could see Days of Our Lives. And they said, why didn't you just record it on your VCR? Amy didn't want to tell them. We didn't know what a VCR was in the early 1980s. Anyway, you know, with soap operas, they carry on this amazing kind of uh, disconnect with time. Hope and Bo can be in love and having an affair, an overnight thing, and it'll take all summer long. And at the same time, the baby that's born one week, the next week is seven years old, you know. They, they, they have this ability of, of running time uh, simultaneously, and it gets all mixed up there. Um, when I left here on Friday, the sanctuary looked like we were still waiting on Christ. Will he ever get here? And today we're back to the routine. Poor little baby Jesus is now destined to spend another trip around the sun, another whole year, packed away in a box, tucked in our attic. Really? The Magi... The Magi who come after Jesus' birth then seem awfully important to us, I think, and particularly relevant to our situation. We weren't there when Jesus was born, right? We come after the fact. And so we're, we can relate much more to the Magi maybe to, than to the shepherds because we're in time with them. Uh, they were not late to the party, these Magi. The shepherds got to show up in labor and delivery and kiss the baby and share all that newborn hoopla. But the magi coming after the spectacle that Christmas has become get to struggle with all that has happened and then ask, so now, what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus now that we're back to the mundane? Our own artist and poet, Ron Pelt, has reflected on this question in a poem that he sent me several months ago. I want to read it to you. Uh, some really interesting insights here in Ron's poem. As we took down the sacred symbols of our Chrismon tree today, as we untangled and rolled up the clear twinkle lights, as we took an electric chainsaw and cut the poor dry thing into pieces, that could be composted and given back to mother. Did anyone else see the parallel? 
taking down the body of Jesus from that terrible and cruel post of execution, that young man who was so full of love and compassion, wisdom and passion for his father's vision of life here, passion for his people, his family, his friends, and even his enemies. It made me a little sad for a moment, but I also noticed the way we were all working together, our little church, and how the sanctuary was full of young and old, gay and straight, believers and doubters, and a minister or two. And we all wanted our church to be clean and ready, ready for another Sunday's worship, ready for another year, ready for perhaps the coming of the kingdom that is always coming. And we all said, see you tomorrow. As we left for the rest of our Saturday, it was a communion of a sort, as if we all took down the body of Jesus and prepared him, waiting for another resurrection. I love that imagery in Ron's poem. What happens when we undecorate? There's powerful imagery and that warp and woof of time, the twist of the fabric of reality. We're taking down Christmas and we're realizing it's Easter. The candlelight carols and communion actually do go together. The baby and the body are one. Now, undecorating is about as unfulfilling as it gets. I really hate that we missed this yesterday, Dan and Brian. Thank you all so much. As unfulfilling unfulf as it gets, unless... Something in the aftermath of the season, the routine of the mundane can actually help us figure out what to do with Jesus now that all the excitement is over. So what would, be the what would the opposite be like? Instead of packing up Jesus for a year, if while you were cleaning up, you found that lost centerpiece of your favorite nativity scene, or amid the dust and debris, Jesus found you. Another poet named Barbara Conrad has reflected on this idea a little playfully, though there's some serious reflection included in her poem, Last Night I Found Jesus. This time he came in a gasp, like someone sucking air from a secret. I unplugged the source, dismantled the vacuum hose, and there he was tangled in a wad of cat hair and lint, little figurine gazing out in blessed resignation. Lost for so many Christmases, I held him in my palm like a wafer. God or goddess, who could tell, his private part shrouded in a little whittled diaper. He had, uh, had he liked his reprieve from the barn scene? All those donkeys and itchy hay, hubbub of angels coming out of nowhere like a Hallmark commercial. For two years, a plastic teddy bear had been his stand-in, red-vested, gold-crowned, part of my daughter's ornament set. So why would I find him now, stuck in a tunnel with all my grime and clutter, when doctrine says he'd come in glory and light? And who had turned me into savior? I was testy, then I softened. Such a burden, all my questions for a dusty baby, 
No wonder he'd hidden so long behind the dresser. Poor little image, infant icon, precious, mysterious, hand-carved nugget of wood. Kind of two different poems, you know. One is taking down and packing up, and the other is finding Jesus. These two poems have such interesting things to say to us about what are we going to do with Jesus now that the season is over. Of course, they're both set in literal terms. What are we going to do now that we've found the centerpiece of the nativity scene? Or what are we going to do when we're packing up that nativity scene? But there are serious questions there about what are we going to do with this Christ we find when he comes Too often Jesus gets lost in all the clutter or we wrap him in the gaudy tinsel of emotionalism or the trappings of doctrine and we miss what is most important about him. In a recent editorial, I responded to a New York Times piece by Nicholas Kristof, an acknowledged admirer of Jesus but a skeptic who finds much unbelievable or unreasonable about Christian doctrine. Christoph says, I've always admired Jesus, but I just can't quite get there with some of the doctrines of Christianity. So he had sought the advice of Reverend Timothy Keller, who is the pastor of the prominent Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. I read the article, Bruce Holliday sent it to me and said, what do you think about this? And Nicholas Kristoff was reflecting on his conversation with Reverend Keller. Um, Nicholas Kristoff's specific question was, do I have to believe in the virgin birth in order to be Christian? You know, I have this attraction for Jesus, but I can't quite get there with the virgin birth. And so he was asking Timothy Keller what he thought about that. And Keller said, yeah, all the doctrines go together. You have to believe all the doctrines to be Christian." And I wrote in response to that, and I closed my opinion piece with these thoughts. Um, Let me go back and say, I was disappointed in the evangelical response, which placed continued adherence to the sterile and academic doctrines of orthodoxy as essential to Christian faith. What a shame. I think he missed so much in an opportunity to talk to Nicholas Kristof about Jesus. So I close my blog with these words. Most disappointing, it seems the pastor missed a wonderful Christmas opportunity. Christianity was not born as a new philosophical society, a people adhering to some doctrinal treatise or set of moralistic principles. The disciples of Jesus have most have mostly been people like Nicholas Kristof who, whatever they thought about the incidents of Jesus' birth, if it mattered to them at all, found something in Jesus of Nazareth worth trying to emulate, which is what it means to be Christian to me. While the pastor was kindly lecturing the skeptic on the necessity of believing an idea that at the very least should be engaged with the insights of 21st century science and culture and historical critical sensitivity, maybe the pastor should just have introduced the skeptic to Jesus. It's Christmas. Just tell the story. He was a son born of peasant parents who felt a call from God to empower the powerless. 
and whose radical message of social revolution based on turning the other cheek, doing unto others, loving our enemies, shook one of the world's great empires to its foundations. He was an itinerant rabbi, a powerful storyteller, a charismatic human being whose mysterious way just seemed too powerful to be only human. Maybe most importantly, when people ask about that way, Jesus never said the doctrines are essential. He just invited them to come along, doubts and all, follow me. Christmas is over. What are you going to do with Jesus now? I think it was the year we lived in Montana. Somebody had given me a piece of Philippine mahogany and I remember sitting in our little one-room condominium at the base of Big Sky Mountain and carving a nativity scene, a simple Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger. Um, and Amy and I leave them out 365 days a year. It's a reminder to us of this story and the importance of it. And so whether you come in December or July, you'll find baby Jesus on uh, the shaving stand, the antique shaving stand that my dad gave us there. Um, he's always there physically. What about spiritually? What are we going to do with Jesus now that it's over? In a poem with a simpler, more sing-songy meter and maybe a more sentimental tone, uh, a poet named Anita Anderson offers this suggestion in her poem entitled, Don't Put Jesus Away. When Christmas time comes around each year, we celebrate with much good cheer we hang the lights outside and in, send cards to each and every friend. We decorate the Christmas tree and set out the nativity. We wrap up all the gifts we've bought, fix Christmas treats and eat a lot. We sing the carols we love so dear and visit family far and near. Then as the season nears an end, we take the lights back down again. We pack away the tree once more and decorations must be stored. But as you put it all away, there's just one thing I'd like to say. As you take down the nativity and pack each piece so carefully, that little baby in the hay is the one that came on Christmas Day. He's Jesus Christ, God's only son, who came for each and every one. We need him with us day by day, so please don't put him away. Christmas is over. What are you going to do with Jesus? You know that I don't preach three points and a poem. So as you begin 2017, I hope that these three poems and one point will be a good start for you. It's easy enough to make Jesus all about the spectacle of Christmas. To worship him without following his way to make cold doctrine more important than real faith, to let arrogant religion trump humble living. The Christianity this world gets is up to you and me. Now that Christmas is over, we gather with the Magi to wonder what kind of child this is and what difference he will make in our world. What will you do with Jesus now? I hope he'll change things for you in 2017. May it be so.
We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.